In a complex and highly interconnected world, how can we as investors and intermediaries be sure that our actions serve both ourselves and the planet? In his latest piece, Zen and the Art of Investment Management, our head of global emerging markets, Gary Greenberg, discusses how a mindful approach could take us a step closer towards the goal of truly responsible investing. Let's find out more next. Welcome to the seventh episode of Fundamentals, an equity-focused series on the Federated Hermes podcast channel. I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at the firm. In this episode of Fundamentals, I'm joined by Gary Greenberg, Head of Global Emerging Markets, to talk about his latest piece, Zen and the Art of Investment Management. Some of the early feedback from that piece is that this is like nothing that anyone has ever seen written about the art of investment management before. So I'm delighted to have Gary here to talk about some of the key ideas in that piece. Welcome, Gary. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Gary has been on this podcast before, and we've heard a little bit about his investment journey. His latest piece, however, is deeply personal and talks a lot about what Gary terms mindful investing. So let's dive right into this piece. Let's start, first of all, by maybe defining mindful investing. And how is that distinguished from other terms such as ethical investing or responsible investing? Mindful investing is something that hasn't really been invented yet. It's a, uh, it's a form which I think over time will evolve. And it really has two aspects, the inner aspect for the investor themselves and an outer aspect in terms of the activities that, uh, that the investors will perform. My piece focuses mainly on the investment manager themselves, their internal motivations, processes, insights, and blind spots. Um, my thinking was that when an investor becomes fully aware of themselves and they free themselves of the split personality so common to knowledge workers in the 21st century, they can become whole human beings, energized, purposeful, socially in tune. Uh, their place in their own family, their workplace, their society, and the ecosystem at large will be clearer their actions, including their professional activity, will be more in harmony with, with all of these. In terms of the external aspect of, uh, of mindful investing, it's really a, a guess as to where things will go. But my, my feeling is that um, over time, investors are going to have much more awareness, not only of themselves, especially if they do some self-examination and, and maybe some self-awareness, but also they'll be having much greater awareness of, uh, of companies and their environment. So I think that over time, combined with big data, uh, investors will start to be able to really get a clear picture of, of, the, of the whole ecosystem a company is in. Nothing exists in a vacuum. Uh, the development will be the result of the continued shrinking of the world through access to data. Uh, at some point in the future, the supercomputer that Frederick Hayek imagined would be necessary, that he imagined it would be necessary if government were able to optimize policies. 
he he said that that's never going to happen. He was in, living and in, writing in 1947. He said it will never happen. So that uh, the market itself has to be the ultimate arbiter of everything. But now with the ability that we've got through through computers and big data, et cetera, and which is translating itself to fund managers now, fund managers at some point in the future are going to have the equivalent of an MRI scan of companies to be able to look at them at the at the operational level, at the human resources level, at the ecosystem level, at the purpose level, um, to see what kind of effect they're having on employees, on people in the community, on the larger community, et cetera. And thus investors will be able to really have much more complete knowledge of, of the companies that they're looking at. And that combined with complete knowledge of who they are, they should be able to, I think that's my vision of where mindful investing will eventually uh, take place. So it is distinct from ethical investing then, which is quite almost an archaic concept now. We don't really use the term, but um, hopefully later we will see how the, the two um, convene to, uh, to allow um, us to, to be mindful and also pursue a responsible investing agenda. I'd like to just speak a little bit um, going back a bit, take, pulling the camera back, I suppose, to speak about your own investment journey. And how did mindfulness start to weave its way in there? Um, what came first, I suppose, the mindfulness or the investment journey? And what inspired you to write a piece about the topic? I've always had a reflective, introspective nature. As a little kid, I used to hound my mother to read to me all the time. So when I discovered traditions, particularly Eastern ones, that embodied this this introspection, I was naturally drawn to them. I started meditating as a teenager. I studied Eastern religions in university, and I joined a contemplative order on graduation. After a few years, however, my path led me back to the world, and I completed a degree in international business with a goal to help developing countries escape poverty. This led me to a career in emerging markets, though it took a long time to find a company like my present employer who wanted to invest in a way that made the world a better place. Uh, I've been very happy here, and I think uh, as a company, we've made a contribution to improving the way the investment industry affects the world. And I've been able to participate in regions like Asia, which have made great strides in improving living conditions for their people. Writing this piece, I, I wanted to give something to the investment community. I wanted to give another access to a, another dimension, and that's the inner dimension of being an investment manager. Uh, I, I, you know, the, there's a Buddhist uh, insight that all beings suffer, and that includes investment managers, even though investment managers are well paid, they still suffer. And so I wanted to give a give something back to this community, which I've lived in for three decades, to uh, to help uh, help my colleagues maybe become a little bit more full, more rounded, and and happier. So that's that's why I wanted to write it. And I think some of the aspects of the piece I'd like to go through because they really are relevant to some of the, the current thinking about um, how we bolster corporate culture. And one of the first aspects there is about being fully present. Um, can you tell us what that means exactly? And how does being fully present, whether in a room, in a meeting for your team, how does that make a difference to 
the, 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 but the culture of the team, the energy of the team, and ultimately the productivity of a team. Now, being fully present is not something you can really define, but it's something you can definitely feel when somebody really is there. It has to do with uh, radical authenticity. Uh, it has to do with sensitivity. Uh, it has to do with uh, enough uh, calmness and self-composure to be able to to be able to express one's own agenda, but also recognize other people's. Uh, it's really a matter of being real and uh, bringing who you really are to work, but not in the sense of like the crazy aspects of yourself, but the the, the real aspects of yourself. Um, I think one way to to do that, to, to be fully present, is to uh, be self-aware. And if you're, if you, that's not the same as self-conscious. Self-conscious is an embarrassed, awkward feeling, which we all know, uh, which which makes you feel like you know it's a narcissistic feeling that something's wrong with you and that everybody's like you know not really liking you or whatever. Self-awareness is much more neutral and actually is not that different from self-confidence. Self-awareness, you're aware of what's motivating you to be there, uh, why you're in the room, uh, what, uh, what your biases are, what your motivations are. Um, you're, you're comfortable enough inside of yourself to be able to see other people, to see their agendas, to see their insecurities, their securities, their strengths, their weaknesses and have enough space inside yourself to make room for them so that you can have real conversations. And uh, the whole situation is, is healthy, happy, wholesome, and works. Meetings can be, uh, you know, we've all experienced meetings that are deadly boring, meetings that are confrontational and unpleasant. Uh, meetings can be uh, interesting, fun. Uh, they can be actually uh, as fun as, as a party, not to say that they're a party in the sense that everybody's just acting silly, but where everybody's cooperating together, working together as a party in a conversation, you, you all try to contribute in a way that makes the conversation more interesting. And if you're really present in a meeting, uh, it can be that way as well. And if everybody's really present, it can be a very, very uh, energizing meeting as opposed to a draining one. The uh, the aspects then that I think one needs to focus on to be to really bring presence, your presence into uh, into work, into investment management in this case, motivation, biases and gut feel, ethics, and then even uh, just practical things like how to handle the various duties you have, such as run, running from a client meeting to, uh, to an investment management process. And just in terms of some, some of the other aspects of being fully present, I presume an aspect of that is maybe putting phones aside during a meeting, um, ensuring that all meeting participants are, are listening actively to other members. Um, does any of that factor in? Sure. I mean, um, mindfulness really is, uh, is, um, allowing yourself to to be in the now and that doesn't mean you don't plan uh, but it means that when you're in a situation you monotask 
rather than multitask. You give the person your full attention. You hear what they're saying and what they're not saying. Uh, you're, you've taken care of your own needs so that you don't have other things to do when you're in the meeting. And uh, if a person does who's speaking really feels heard, then they will uh, they'll feel safer and more relaxed. That doesn't mean that you that you don't interrupt though. Sometimes a person is going on and on for whatever reason they they've become unconscious and they're just talking, and you might have to break the uh, break the situation in, in a little bit of a, of a funny way or, or whatever a gentle way and bring things back. Uh, so it's situational. But if you've done some inner work and you've done some meditation, you'll be able to distinguish between what's real and what's unnecessary, what's signal and what's noise. And you'll be able to, uh, to foster a, a richer texture it's like a symphony, I mean, you know, or like a band, you know, it, it's in a meeting, everybody's playing. And uh, some people, you know, not everybody's playing at the same time, but sometimes they are. And it's a matter of uh, you know, hitting the right notes and having your ears clear so you can really hear what's going on. And let's move now to meditation. I know in the piece you speak about your meditative practice. And increasingly, I hear a lot of high-performing professionals speak about meditation being one of their um, most important daily practices. Can you speak about how you um, involve meditation in your day and maybe something that is also um, uh, attainable for, for others? I think with meditation, I mean, you can start with as little as five minutes a day if you're interested in starting. And uh, it's you can you there are some very simple simple practices that one can do such as uh following one's breath or meditating on a on a mantra uh, or being aware of the thoughts as they arise there are numerous books podcasts and uh and uh, websites that are available to get you started but you can start really with with almost uh just a few minutes. The important thing is just like with everything else, you know, practice. And as you practice, uh, you get better at it. I started meditating when I was a teenager, late teenager, and uh, took, uh, took, it was mail order lessons in those days. Now I meditate for a few hours a day, about three hours a day. I start my day with it. And uh, it gives me a, an ability to, um, to enjoy life and to, to actually experience life as I live it, as opposed to rushing through the day. It slows me down in, in a way. I don't need to go faster. There's an old expression in, in America, you measure twice and cut once. In other words, if you're just careful, you'll actually be much more efficient in what you do. Um, meditation for me is, uh, is going inside. I sit you know, quietly uh, with, my, uh, with an erect posture. I sit in a chair because the full lotus position became unavailable to me about 20 years ago. My knees started to suffer. 
Uh, and I start by centering myself, uh, following my own breath, especially the out breath, watching it go to the end. And then after a few minutes of uh, centering, I open my eyes in meditation and I begin to watch what the mind does. And I see thoughts as they come, emotions as they come, as they play their little part on the stage of my mind. And then I watch as they depart. And increasingly, I'm able to watch them rather than be them and let them go as opposed to getting taken on a train to some journey, to some thought or fantasy or whatever that, that I don't need. That process actually identifies me over time with the sort of a um, atmospheric generalized spacious consciousness as opposed to a uh, as opposed to a, a consciousness which uh, which is caught up in thoughts and that spacious consciousness allows me when I do look at a problem to approach it in a relaxed clear way when I think about things, it allows me to think about them in a relaxed, clear way. And it allows me to gain insight. Uh, it allows me to hear tones in people's voices. It allows me to have the space to be able to see expressions on people's faces. And it enables me to see things uh, that I don't want to spend time on and just move on from there. So it's really kind of a getting to a natural state of the way human beings, I think, we're, are supposed to be, uh, getting freed from the chimp mind, uh, the reactive mind, and being in a uh, being in a spacious, calm, present, uh, clear space, which is pretty good for everything, really. Well, we'll come in a minute to maybe some practical tips for professionals trying to approach this for the first time. But I'd like to go back to some of the what you said about state of mind. Because in the piece, you also had a very interesting distinction between the state of mind one might have when um, presenting to clients, maybe in um, whether you're in sales mode or just simply in, in extrovert mode, uh, versus the state of mind that might apply when you're doing a deep piece of analysis and research. And that shifting between the two can sometimes be a challenge and may need a, even a, a space of um, transition in between. What do you think is the ideal way to approach a, a position that has these two demands and whether one should segregate the different times of meetings, is there a particular way one can transition between the two? Yeah, I think that actually these are probably two different parts of the brain. I don't know that anybody's done research on this, but the marketing pitching brain is, uh, is, a, very, is a very strong, very active, very intelligent a uh, part of the brain that gears up, it gears up, it, it must grab a little adrenaline from wherever that comes from. And uh, it then pushes you into a certain mode, which is really, really being really, really aware of what you're saying, really, really aware of the reactions that are happening to what you're saying. And uh, almost, almost, uh, being able to pitch your tone and your content in such a way that it gets through. It's, it's communication. It's an act of communication. That's a very, very different process than listening to or reading uh, 
an investment uh, idea and analyzing it, or even just thinking about an investment idea. Uh, I, I've had experience a long time ago, I was running a, a fund and uh, I, I was short a stock which was very, very well known in the United States. And uh, everybody, all the clients I talked to had an opinion about this stock. And they, because they drove one of their cars or because they, whatever, they had, uh, they knew all about it. And I found my own sense of conviction getting shaken because everybody had a definite opinion about it. Um, I then had to go back and really think through what I thought and uh, let let their let their views uh, let their views go. So the way I I also I also find myself uh, you know going to an investment uh, meeting with a client and and talking to them and getting you know obviously it's a two way street they have questions they have opinions you listen to them you want to persuade them that what you're doing is is the right thing. And then you go and you uh, go back to your desk and, you know, you've got somebody's annual report open on page 240, some company, and you're uh, looking at the footnotes in terms of, uh, you know, what the receivables policy is or, or whatever. And it's just two different parts of your brain. It's very difficult to switch. So what I've decided to do is try to schedule the things on different days so that on one day I'm, I'm, uh, presenting and I'm extroverted and on the other day I'm introverted. Another solution obviously is to have people whose job it is to explain the portfolio and the people whose job it is to manage the portfolio. So we have uh, we have the teams not only salespeople but we have investment specialists who are in-house portfolio managers. A lot of firms have this whose job it is the whole time to to uh, communicate the views of the uh, of the portfolio managers themselves. It's such an interesting observation, and I am kind of surprised that we haven't done more analysis, as you mentioned, of the different parts of the brain perhaps needed for those different tasks. Because even as you mentioned, it is possible to segregate the duties into different people. Many PMs will always be you know, needed to, uh, in client meetings from time to time, so there will always be a need to, to combine the two functions. But um, even on, I know we have prompts now on our outlook that we may need some thinking time or do we want us to factor in some downtime perhaps in our day. So I do think there is certainly a growing awareness of the need to um, to, to have time that is um, not filled with distractions, um, um, which perhaps have the same effect uh, on the brain as, as maybe this kind of extrovert behavior like with um with with clients, so that's um, it's extremely interesting. Um, so now getting back to maybe individuals who wouldn't already have meditation in their practice, is there any one tip that you can maybe leave our listeners with that they can incorporate um into their daily lives, maybe starting tomorrow, if they wanted to have a more mindful approach? Yeah, um, I think the if you wanted to bring mindfulness into your life uh, in a very easy, simple way. Um, research has shown that the vagus nerve is connected to the parasympathetic nervous system and that a full, slow outbreath can relax the body and mind and generate a sense of well-being. So you can take one minute when you finish some activity, one minute, and in that minute you can take 
six deep, slow in-breaths and out-breaths. And in that time, with those six deep in-breaths and out-breaths, you will relax, and the next hour will start on a harmonious note. So if you can manage to have 60 seconds that are free, you can actually make a difference. And you can do that once a day. You can do it five times a day. It's up to you. Well, that uh, certainly seems very doable, which I think is absolutely key. Um, well, Gary, thank you so much for sharing those insights with us and for tying it together to, I think, which will be an increased drive towards a more holistic approach to investment, incorporating the responsibility, the principles that we've talked about earlier. I think what we've learned here are the importance of being fully present and, and how that that is benefit to the team overall, as well as to the individual also, how meditation, how easy it is to incorporate just the tiniest bit of meditation in your day and that even that tiny minute, as you mentioned, can be beneficial. And overall, how I think there's a lot we don't know about mindfulness, but equally um, a lot that, uh, that, that we are currently learning and it's probably going to be invented, as you put it as we look down the um, down, down the road. So in our show notes, there are an extensive set of notes and resources which draw upon many of the themes that are in the um, research piece that Gary presented. And um, finally, I know that plenty of you are searching for a podcast to counteract the stress of the coronavirus lockdown. Um, and I will say that my own podcast recommendation is actually a bit of a, a reboot of two recommendations I've made before, both the podcast Solvable um, which came up with solutions to the world problems, has looked at how each of those solutions has had a setback during the uh, post-COVID era. I wouldn't say it exactly is uh, stress relieving, but it is quite um, realistic to assess the setbacks and maybe try to move from there. And the other area I've mentioned how I built this podcast, the focus on entrepreneurs, they've had a resilience series in the aftermath of COVID. And that resilience series, I think, has been profoundly uh, energizing to hear how people have pivoted, have adapted, and have really learned to cope in these unprecedented times. So I'd like to thank Gary Greenberg for joining me today for such an insightful conversation. I'll be back next month with another episode of Fundamentals. In the meantime, if you enjoy this podcast and don't want to miss upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Federated Hermes podcast channels, Amplified and Here and Now. You'll find these channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play. Until then, I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at the firm. Thank you for listening to Fundamentals. Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the international business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only and the views, information or opinions expressed therein are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results and investors may not recover the full amount invested.